How's it going, everybody? This is Dan Fagella here at Tech Emergence, where we interview researchers, investors, and entrepreneurs in the domain of emerging technology. Uh, today, I happen to have the founder and CEO of UBiome, Mrs. Jessica Richmond, who's on the line with me right now. Jessica, how are you today? Great, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, glad to have you on. I know we've had so many uh, burgeoning startups, um, you know, who are just kind of stepping into the game. You guys have, are, are really one of the the people that have that have had some of the most eyes on you in terms of this category of startup and type of project. Um, I wanted you to sort of give the gist rather than me. I think you probably put it in, in better and more concise terms of precisely what UBiome does and is up to today. Sure. So UBiome is a citizen science startup. We sequence the human microbiome. So all of us are covered in trillions of bacteria. Yes, we are. Inside of us, outside of us, we've seen, there's been a lot of news and press about the microbiome, about microbiome research in general, and we're the first company to take that directly to the consumer. So instead of just being sort of locked up in a scientific lab, you have the opportunity to learn about what's in your microbiome, see how you correlate with others, and see how you correlate with existing research studies that have been done about the microbiome. And what we so that, that part is unique. We also allow you to ask and answer questions of the data set and be a part of science. So you can uh, pose questions that can be answered by others. You can look at how your microbiome compares to other people interactively, and you can sort of be a part of not only learning about your body, but scientific research as well. Cool. Okay. So, uh, again, citizen science, as you had mentioned, um, and there's just such a, a, a massive opportunity for that nowadays. And, and most of the folks uh, that are coming to you guys now, are, are they usually just sort of science enthusiasts who also, you know, want to really kind of get an understanding of, of, you know, their own health and current condition? Is it some people who are literally just, you know, curious and they're fascinated by, you know, microbiomes and biology in general? Who's really approaching you guys most now? So it's interesting. It's a, it's a, very, it's a broad mix of people, so there are three types of people. So there are people that are science enthusiasts, maybe they're biologists, maybe they're technology people who are interested in getting involved in the world of biology mm -hmm. because there's so much so much interesting data there that yeah. you know, people who've been in IT or in uh, internet startups are just starting to become aware of how much interesting stuff there is there. So that's kind of a group of technology and science people. Then cool. there are people who are interested in tracking things about their bodies, you know, yeah. the same person would buy a Fitbit or who wants to change their diet to go gluten-free paleo or yep. people that are just sort of interested in hacking their health in general. And then we have a third group of people who have very complex health conditions that are not well addressed by the current medical establishment. So chronic fatigue, um, multiple sclerosis, um, you know, autoimmune disorders of various kinds, um, gut, you know, gut microbiome issues, so Crohn's disease, irritable bowel, things where, you know, there are a lot of different things that doctors try, but there isn't really a you know, cure where you take it and you're yeah, fine. So yeah, there are yeah, people yeah. who just want to learn a little bit more about their health and share the information with their healthcare providers. That's cool. Yeah. Stuff stuff where you can't just get something, take it, and you're fine. That's right. a, an interesting way to put it. I, I mean, love yeah. I love layman's <laughs> if terms. Antibiotics could just cure all diseases. And yeah, wouldn't that be nifty? Wouldn't positive. wouldn't that just be nifty? Yeah. Um, so that's cool. So those are I, I suppose we could say your your three time types of uh, buyers or customers, but also the three types of contributors to this sort of open source and collaborative uh, and, and living data set as well. Yes, exactly. Okay. And I, I think that's a, that's a very good distinction to make. There are, I, I think within the science, within the first two groups, the science and technology group and the quantified self group, there's a real community feeling of people that want to add to 
the data that humanity has yeah. to address its problems of you know uh, that perhaps can be solved by the microbiome and people that want to be a part of an effort to be part of science and so far haven't been able to be you know if you or I before citizen science wanted to be a part of a scientific project how would you there sort of would be no way to do it. And one of the things that I think is really exciting about citizen science is providing that mechanism that makes it easy for the average person who isn't a PhD scientist in the in the specific lab that's studying this one thing to contribute their knowledge and interest and, and data to solving important problems. Yeah, it's it's so it's so interesting and, and uh you know, some sometimes I feel like I, I come up with an insight and I, I feel like the cool guy who came up with something relatively early. But then sometimes it's like I sort of, something dawns on me at the same time it dawns on like everybody else and I'm just really not that special. Um, and one of those things... You're special, Dan. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jessica. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll put that on the website. Jessica Richmond yes. thinks the host of this I'm show is special. special. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank goodness, man. I needed one of those. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I've been talking to folks from, geez, I mean, from MIT and, and all over the world who've sort of expressed a common notion of, you know, for crying out loud, if we can collect this stuff and connect it meaningfully, like how how much of an infinitude of, of additional information and problem-solving capability is there in just the information that's coming in and out of everything. And I think part of that is all of us sort of waking up to this big data concept, yes. um, which has its its frightening and troubling things, as literally any technology does, but also it, its massive possibilities and potential. And, and I think it's just getting, you know, I was at a um, an, an incubator event up in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm, I'm a little closer to Boston now, but uh, and and there were you know out of maybe ten of these companies, I think there were three or four of them that had you know heavily sort of influenced and, and emphasized this kind of concept of big data from everything from you know music production and concerts uh, and leveraging big data to, to you know sell more tickets and, and run better events um, to you know geez I mean all other various and sundry you know categories of things. So I think that that's interesting. Now uh, just to to give people an idea of sort of tangibly. I, mean, I want to talk about the future of this technology too, but sort of tangibly the kinds of differences this is making and or the kinds of collaboration and insights that are being made possible today. G give me a couple of tangible examples of stuff people are learning, you know, that's been useful, cool, and and uh, you know, and that you guys have been a part of at UBio. Sure, that's a, that's a great question. I think that there are a couple of things that have been the sort of primary drivers of value so far, with the caveat that this is really going to hit its leverage point a little bit in the future when we have all of our samples are back from our participants yeah. and we analyze them all and we've sort of given out the data to people so that they can then ask and answer questions of the data. And that hasn't yeah. happened yet. So I think it's a little, the, the big impact is, is yet to come. Yeah. What we've seen so far are people interested in doing large scale microbiome studies. So if you read, you know, latest issue of science or nature or things in National Academy of Sciences or Specialized Journal or even just, you know, their the reports on these studies in the New York Times, the sample size and the studies that are the top leading studies in the world are, you know, a few hundred people, maybe you yeah. know, maybe a hundred people, maybe a few hundred yeah. people. Yeah. But what we what we what we're doing are forging some research partnerships where people where the public will be able to contribute not just samples but also their questions and their ideas to research studies in huge numbers. Uh, we have one possible one grant that if it if it gets funded with the American Heart Association where ten thousand people will participate in the largest heart disease study that's ever been done in the world. That's cool. And I think the potential for those large scale microbiome studies um, where the public in partnership with researchers can can 
learn about heart disease and contribute their information is, is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also doing some small scale, smaller studies with the people that are, that have participated in our Indiegogo campaign around, uh, Crohn's, IBD, ulcerative colitis, nonspecific, um, uh, nonspecific bowel conditions, all of those things to ask a lot of questions around what, um, what's going on in their gut, what, you know, what symptoms they're experiencing, what drugs people are taking, what, um, uh, what's in their microbiome, and we're doing that in partnership with Larry Smarr, who's kind of a he's a he's a professor of computer science, but he's sort of a pioneer in quantified self. He, uh, in in his view, he diagnosed his own Crohn's disease and was able to to make some attempt at curing it. So, we these are these are sort of the very promising directions that we're going in. I think we'll see a lot more in terms of oh, I discovered this amazing research result and it's going to be published in, in about six months. We still have to get through all of our samples and, and uh, get through get through sending them back to the public and getting their feedback as well. Yeah, you gotta crunch all that stuff and, and yeah, exactly. where's where's all that crunching gonna fall, I suppose. Presumably if you got grants you can bring some people on board, but it would seem like you need a pretty big basement of guys with glasses on to get all that done. <laughs> I think we're the basement of the guys with glasses. Oh, actually. nice. Okay. <laughs> um, no, it's it's interesting. I the cost of genomic sequencing has gone down quite a bit, and just being able to, like you said, use big data and crowdsource the results has made it possible for us to to get insights that are have previously been hard to get because you needed to have individuals crunching the data rather than having a large scale algorithm that can do it. Yeah, um, and uh, again, the, the dropping prices, I think, is, I mean, even if you just look at how much what you guys are trying to do, never mind presumably the accuracy and and, um, and uh, more thorough understanding of the science, how, how much more difficult that would be 10 years ago, but how much it would cost, um, you know, I, I imagine it would be borderline astronomical, and maybe that leads us a little bit towards you know, where ultimately I often go with emerging technologies and their, their founders and researchers, which is, you know, where might this take us in, in five years or so? I think, you know, prognosticating is prognosticating, and, and uh, you know, I never tell anybody to whip a crystal ball out, but I figure, you know, who else to make some interesting, uh, you know, potentially presumptions or, or, or hunches as to, to, you know, where the science and the future of these things will take us and the people who are most involved, which is, of course, you guys. So where do you see this, or what do you see this allowing for you know, in the next half decade here as these technologies become cheaper and, and, and uh, this big data thing becomes more of a thing? So that's a, so that's a great question. Something I, I'm so glad you asked that because I love thinking about this and sort cool. of seeing where the technology could go. And we're sort of in the position where we get to sort of turn science fiction into fact and yeah. be able to take ideas that might just sound like ridiculous, like they couldn't happen and actually make them come to reality. Yep. So I think Ubiome sits at the, at the sort of the nexus of two different trends that I think are both going to have a lot of impact in the next five years. So the citizen science and the microbiome. So starting off with the microbiome, I think our current approach of, you know, Western civilization of taking, you know, seeing that there's some pathogen, taking an antibiotic of some kind to kill it, and then that curing the disease works for a lot of things, and it's changed the world that we live in. And, you know, there are many people alive today because antibiotics exist. Mm-hmm. But I think that approach has some limitations, and we're sort of discovering what those are in terms of antibiotic resistance, in terms of autoimmune disorders and the hygiene hypothesis, which is the idea that if you um, – that it's the fact that we're so clean and we don't have a lot of bugs in us that makes us sick in some, in some cases. Yeah. 
So I think that what will change is the approach toward probiotics and a better understanding of what communities live on and in us and how those can be encouraged to grow in ways that are beneficial to us. So the, the way I've heard the metaphor put is it's not, it's more like a garden than it is like a battlefield. All of the, the, things you hear about, uh, you know, all the metaphors that are used are, you know, we're going to kill the pathogens hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. or against cancer or whatever. But those are very, there's a very military undertone to that. And actually maybe it's more like a garden. We're going to cultivate the good bacteria that are beneficial to us and we're going to outcompete the, you know, the bugs that are bad for us. And so I think what that will mean on a very practical level is we'll have possibly, maybe in the next five years, but po but certainly at some point after that, we will have probiotic drugs that we take that are just bugs that are adapted perfectly for our internal community. We'll have, you know, clean our kitchen counters with probiotics rather than with antiseptics. We oh. will create biofilms that are beneficial to us that'll make our shower sort of, you know, live, <laughs> you know, you know, instead of killing everything that's there, we'll make the things that we want to live in our shower live there. That wow. would be beneficial to us in some way. I mean, just think about all the possibilities of cultivating life rather than destroying specific bacteria that are that are damaging to us and sort of hoping the community coalesces properly around that yeah I, so I, uh, that's a whole direction and that's that is not that research direction is not science fiction there are research priorities being planned for you know, national research priorities being planned around that mm -hmm. um as far as actual products those are probably further down the line but I, the nice thing about probiotics is that these are already existing bugs that live on and in us so it's not like we have to invent something new we just have to learn how to manage the things that we have so that's that's one trend in terms of citizen science i think we'll just see just exactly like you said big data and crowdsourcing applied to science right now it's kind of silly you know you can go on 99 designs and get graphic designers to compete to make your logo you can crowdsource you know transcription of movies <laughs> you can do all these things that are i mean they're important but they're not as important as the, you know, advancing humanity's state of knowledge, but yeah, you can't yeah. do that with science. And I think bigger sample sizes, better quality data sets, more engaged, sort of the rise of the prosumer, you know, how they have those prosumer cameras, which are not quite what you'd use if you run a television station, but also not just for simple, you know, point and click home yeah, use. Yeah. That intermediate category for science will come to exist where people are, where smart, engaged people who don't have a PhD in a very specific subject will still be able to contribute. And adding that huge mass of, you know, intelligent, educated, motivated people who didn't happen to pursue that as a career path and solely that um, will just add so much more, you know, vitality and heft to the types of research studies that are done, the research directions that are chosen, and the conclusions that people draw. And I think also it will change the direction of research, because right mm. now the research priorities are dictated from the top down. Yes. And I think there's, there's definitely a role for that. Experts yeah. are important. You know, you can't replace 30 years of experience in a certain topic by, you know, in just, in just one day. But at the same time, people who are fresh and new to a field can have totally different perceptions, and especially people, especially in a field like health, where we're all we, where sufferers, you know, so-called expert patients, can really add a lot of value because they know what it's like to experience it, and they notice connections and intuitions that you might not notice yeah, even if you do yeah, study yeah. something for thirty years if you don't actually have the condition yourself. So I think those two those two areas are both really interesting, and I think they'll be the site for a lot of change over the next five years. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so bottom up, not just top down. You know, there's exactly. there's two things you'd mentioned I liked a lot that actually don't have to do with science, one of which is you use the word heft, which, I mean, geez, it's got to have been, you know, 
two years since I've heard somebody use heft. So that's a good one. I got I got to find a I got to find a place to use that. N- number two. Got to use a word that. Uh, yeah, no, else. it's good. It's good. See, I'm weird like that. Like I write things, so I'm I'm big on on um you know aptly stating things, and I think that that was well done. Uh, and then you can tell I was a nerdy child who read a lot. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean that's that's how it goes down sometimes. Um, yeah. I actually wasn't, but I at some point made that transition. I I don't know. I went from like you know video games to like. Uh, brain machine interface. I don't really remember when it happened, but um, but anyway. And then and then you also use the analogy of a garden versus a battlefield, which I, I feel like is very um, uh, a, a very again an intuitive way of sort of understanding what we're talking about. I think the idea of applying biofilms or or probiotic films to you know a shower to actively cultivate you know potentially the type of uh, you know bugs as we had, you know we're, we're speaking in colloquial terms here. Um, you know, I think that that's a very, very interesting notion. I think m- most oh, so of us. This is so. I should I should say like this: the shower thing was something I just came up with now. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> in the context of um, there, are actually, there's ongoing research in terms of buildings. So you have a microbiome, and I have a microbiome, but the building that we're the buildings that we're in also have their own microbiomes. And there's a lot of research in terms of environmental microbiomes to look at how do you make if there's a sick building, how do you make a healthy building? Can you make a building that is a well that replenishes the microbiomes of the people and, and animals and plants that live in it? So, yeah, I mean, the shower thing is, is super interesting and a little sci-fi-ish, but it, looking at how you can make a building help, you know, have a pro probiotic. How about hospitals, you know? Or hospitals, exactly, right? Like this is where all these hospital-borne infections like C. diff. Oh, MRSA. Like, how about MRSA, you know? Or MRSA, exactly. So how can we make a hospital that has that actively encourages a healthy microbiome for the for the individuals or a nursing home? I mean, there's interesting research on yeah. older um, on whether or not older people have uh, less diverse and less beneficial microbiomes because they're older, or if it's just because of this type of settings, institutional settings. That they're huh. living in. And can we create a nursing home that keeps people younger by giving them young people's bacteria? Interesting, yeah, man. Super yeah, so okay. I, again, it, it's a uh, one of the pro the pros uh, of of being being in the position I'm in is, is speaking in so many different diverse uh, topics. You know, it's robotics to artificial intelligence to genomics to probiotics, which I mean, it just makes me want to Google more things, and that just means more more sleep and less coffee for me. So I'm glad that we had gotten that done. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the, the last thing that, that I, I figured I'd ping off you here just because obviously you're an entrepreneur in addition to, um, being a, uh, scientist, uh, leader in this particular domain, where do you see moving forward, you know, whether it be in, you know, you talk about two different nexuses, nexi, maybe we'd say, um, with, uh, with regards to citizen science, with regards to the biome, um, maybe with citizen science, cause I think it's potentially a little bit more broad though, not necessarily where do you see some other additional interesting entrepreneurial opportunities there? Clearly, there are some large companies that have some semblance of an advantage on citizen science. You know, they already have massive lists. Um, they can pool together data, and they might have teams and, and resources to already get stuff done. Of course, it requires less and less, as, as you know, right. it, both in terms of cost and everything else, to get this stuff uh, up and running. Where do you see the, the biggest uh, entrepreneurial opportunity in citizen science? That's a really good question. Um, I think... I think there are a tremendous amount of opportunities, and I actually don't think bigger companies are better at this because they already have. Oh, yeah, a not necessarily. For, yeah, I mean, you would think they would have a lot of advantages, but I think this is a type of co-creation where it's really important to engage with your with 
your users slash participants slash customers and big companies don't usually aren't usually set up for those channels you know the, a lot of the industrial age sort of business models involved you know the, the manufacturer gives to the distributor gives to the next distributor gives to the retailer and the the manufacturer never gets to talk to the end consumer and yeah find out yeah what yeah the concerns are and that's really what a lot of citizen science in this context is so i think i think in terms of the best opportunities available i think the opportunity will be in structuring scientific uh, work, and scientific work can also be product development work. At some point, you know, if you're if you're making a new um, product that involves the microbiome or involves some kind of or, or robotics or AI or any of those things or some kind of research, then you're doing some kind of scientific work. The, the The opportunity will be in structuring that work so that the public can be involved in it. That's actually a little bit harder than it sounds. It's not. Yeah. You want to. Instead of building the thing yourself, you want to make it easy for other people to join with you in building it. And I think that will be the challenge for both for startups and then for large companies to to engage with their with their customers in a way that makes it easy for the customers to contribute their ideas. And right now that's mostly done with things like contests and you know you know name our latest product or do you want this, these Nike shoes to be blue or red or something yeah, like yeah. that. But, I, I think there's a lot more people that are sort of at the forefront of co-creation like that are, for example, local motors. They're building cars, co-creating cars with their users. And it turns out a lot of those expert users are people who may, mechanical engineers, people may have trained in auto, uh, aeronautical engineering, yeah, yeah. Um, people who are trained in related fields and have you know valuable insights to contribute but don't do that as a day job. And I think that is the challenge for in citizen science. Also, a lot of people you know have a college education in, in science or have a you know pursued some degree of research but then stopped and all those people have a lot of knowledge. It's just not being used at all now. So finding ways to structure your products so that those so that people that are aware of the issues and can contribute are able to contribute. That's that's an interesting thing, and you know, it sort of brings me back to the the idea of this sort of attention economy. You know, um, if you can build something that just you know people will flip open and mess around with, you know, intelligent people will will be able to keep in front of them, you know, enough to you know make it fun, easy, interesting well, there, there enough are to engage. Stages of that because we're all intelligent in different ways. Even oh, of course, yeah, of course, of course. Even if you don't live you know, in the developed world, like you, you still have a lot of, you know, intelligence and energy and vision and education and other areas to bring to this. So I think it's a matter of structuring so everyone can participate at some level. So depending on how much they want to, how much they can, how much they care, yeah. those kind of creating that tiered structure where, you know, people that are just fanatical about it can contribute a lot as much as they it. want yeah, yeah. people who just casually want to you know stop in take a look add a little something and leave can also that ah. kind of structuring is is difficult but i think really rewarding because at every additional person you can bring in to try to solve an important problem is, is a lot of energy and and effort that can can change the outcome yeah and i was just i was just talking to some folks who were going to be creating something kind of like fold it um yeah. only only in sort of a, a different protein application um, uh -huh. And uh, and I think that's a great example of what you're talking about, you know, right there, where it's like, you know, you don't have to have your masters or or bachelors or anything in a particular right. thing. I mean, if you have insight and there's a way to make it chip in and there's a way to have it contribute, you know, um, it's just it's curious that that could still find ways to make new connections, that can still find ways to pool additional insights, if nothing else, data, if nothing else, attempts engagement. 
um, exactly. and, and build towards something uh, great. So that's that's a cool insight there too. I appreciate that. Uh, Jessica, I know we're, we're just about on time here. So I, I wanted to, uh, to sort of open up the floor and, and I know you guys are working on a bunch of stuff right now. As you had said, the next six months are going to be uh, quite exciting. Where should people uh, go primarily to learn more about Ubiome or, or maybe if they're just interested in, in citizen science in general, places that you recommend engaged folks go to check out? Sure. So for Ubiome, just go to Ubiome.com. It's U-B-I-O-M-E.com. And you can order kits there. You can learn more about citizen science and the microbiome. You can read our blog. You can sort of learn more about what we're up to. For citizen science, there's a there's a great database called SciStarter. It's S-C-I and then starter, S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com. It's a database of citizen science projects. So not just Ooh. in biology or in health, in you know bird watching and environmental cleanup and astronomy and sort of everything you can think of they're all there and it's really it's a really great place to just browse around for projects um if you're involved in education you just want to do something fun they they have like a great filtering mechanism for that and so so that's a really cool place and then if you want to um learn more about uh there isn't sort of one central blog for citizen science but there is an interesting project at cornell where where the term citizen science came from it's actually from the ornithology department the bird study department um they have a very long-standing blog there that has that's for keeps people really up to date on the issues of citizen science ah okay cool cool so uh, cornell yeah i guess bird watching is Probably been citizen science since before there was citizen yeah, science, right? Yeah, bird watching right? is where a lot of this started because it makes yeah. a lot of sense. You know, one bird watcher can't watch, you know, yeah. <laughs> identify birds, but many people distributed. It's sort of a natural setting, natural setting for citizen science. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. run a newsletter that I've not updated as recently as I should, but called Science Citizen. Uh, S, uh, sciencecitizen.org okay, where cool. um, people can take can sign up there and when we come out with another issue they'll get a copy of that. Cool. Alright, very good. I'll make sure I include that as well. Jessica, thank you so much not only for the illustrious vocabulary you brought to the table for us today. Illustrious. Yeah, just so <laughs> illustrious, but but also for the uh, the great insights and apt analogies of helping people understand this stuff. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Cool. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>